Um, we're in a series on the book of, the, of John. We've been going through this, and we've been seeing things. We're in John chapter 8, and so in John 7 and John 8, Jesus spends a lot of the time teaching and, and just hitting on some incredible thoughts. I mean, you know, he talked about, uh, in reviewing, thinking about, he said he was the light, you know, this light, and we start thinking about what are the properties of light? What does light do? Light eliminates. Light overcomes the darkness. It shows what the truth is. It shows what's real when we walk in the light. And so Jesus talked about that. He's the light and how important it is for us to walk in the light. So we see the truth of things. We talked about, uh, last week we talked about the truth saves. Light uh, illuminates the truth and truth saves. And we looked at that. We talked about a few things like our problems with God. Our problems with God generally speaking, come down to control issues. Maybe not just generally speaking, maybe just all the time speaking. They come down to control issues. I want to be in control of my life. And his word oftentimes contravenes my desires. And so I have to decide something there because I don't like relinquishing control. And so I push back or I rebel because I want what I want. And we've talked a little bit and we're going to talk some more today about freedom the truth today we're going to hear, the truth will set you free, a concept that is aspired to in any society. Everyone wants it. And many people, there's all kinds of definitions of what freedom is, but a lot of times if you just meet people on the street or something, you say, what do you think freedom is? They'll often say something along the lines of freedom is being able to do whatever you want to do when you want to do it. But there's a problem with this, especially when we think about it in the spiritual realm. Because we don't always know, you think about that, you don't always know what you really want. We're a mess of conflicting desires in big ways and in little ways. I want to lower my blood pressure, but I love salt. So I've got some conflicting desires going on, right? I want to be in better shape. I want to lose weight, right? So I know I should eat broccoli, But man, I love chocolate. And this is way better than broccoli. It's way better. It's not even in the same category. It's not broccoli's not food. Right? I know I should lose weight, but I love ice cream. So I'm a mess of conflicting desires. I took too big of a bite. I'm a mess of conflicting desires because I, I say, oh, I want this. But then I go, oh, <laughs> I really want that. But these two are mutually exclusive. I can't have both all the time. Now, that's a little thing. But let's talk about a big thing. Maybe when a person commits adultery, there's two conflicting desires. Oftentimes, and it can vary, I understand this, but oftentimes a person has a sense of shame. They have a sense of guilt. I shouldn't do this. I know I shouldn't do this. It's not right. But, but I want to feel good. How many times have I heard somebody say, that person makes me feel good. And so I've got conflicting desires. And which will I give in to? See, this is the problem. Because oftentimes our desires control us. And Jesus is going to teach us today that the truth is going to set us free. The truth is going to begin to show us by the word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth will show us 
what desires are right, what desires we're made for, what desires will allow us to be the person we were made to be, and how does that work in our lives? We're going to see simultaneously how we can have these convicting desires, but the truth can push us and say, this is what you're made for. This is what you were designed for. This is what works best with you. This does not. And you go, ah, I don't know, I don't know. And God, Jesus says through his word, no, it does not lead you towards what you were made for. And I think some of this may be because ultimately we're going to serve something. We've talked about that before. And I think it's best expressed by one of my favorite theologians. He expressed it in his song. So in just a second, we're going to listen to a minute and a half. It'll seem like forever, but it's just a minute and a half of song by um, Bob Dylan. All right, let's listen to that. You're like, Bob Dylan? Now, you may say, Bob Dylan, really? Or you may say, Bob Dylan, who is that? Well, you pick your theologians, I'll pick mine. Uh, I, was listening, I was listening to him the other day, and my wife just started laughing. And I'm like, what, what are you laughing about? She goes, he can't sing. I said, that's one of the most iconic voices in the history of music. But he can't sing. I said, okay, that's a fair, fair point. But you got to serve somebody. you got to serve somebody. You know, you can be this, you can be that. All through the song, he just says, what kind of person do you think you are? What kind of person do you want to be? What kind of person are you? But you still have to serve somebody. And this is something the Bible goes over, over and over and over. And today, we're talking about the truth sets free. The truth will set us free. And I want you to see this in verse 31 here. He says, to the Jews who had believed him. Now, Jesus has been teaching, and some of the Jews have said, you know what? I believe this guy. I believe him. So to the Jews who have believed him, he said, if you hold to my, true, to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so he's speaking to this, these believers who are in the crowd. Now, remember, it's a mixed crowd. So as he continues to address, he's, talk, he's talking to everybody there. They're all listening. 
There are those who are trying to trap him. There are those who hate him, plotting his death. And there are some who are just there to listen. They're wondering what's going on. It's a crowd. Let's see what's going on, right? I mean, remember when you were in high school and somebody yelled fight? Everybody ran away, right? No, no. We all went to it. Really? We all went to it. So there's people who, you know, in first century, first century culture, it's like yelling fight. They're all like, what? In the temple? Let's go. And they all go to watch. So Jesus is talking to them, and he's talking to some who have believed. And he's going to give them, right here, he gives them three things that I think are so key. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. First, he tells them to hold to the truth. Keep it foremost in your life. The word is God's message to us. Learn it. It takes some discipline. Sorry. But it's true. It takes some discipline. But as we learn it, hold to the truth. A second thing that is implicit in these verses is this. It's not in obedience that makes you a Christian. They've already started believing. Obedience is the result of as you hold to the truth. Remember this, and we, we, we talk about this so much, but it's so easy for us to forget. It's a process. There are sometimes ups and downs, but it is a process that God is, is using in our life. He's, he's growing us. He's shaping us. He's molding us. It's a process. Don't look at any individual moment and think that's the complete deal. It's a process. All right? So obedience is a result of you holding to the truth. And the, and the third thing he tells them is he says the truth will set you free. He's been saying things like, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you are being crushed today, then you have taken on some other burden. You have taken on a yoke that is not from Jesus. Because that's what's crushing you. He says, my yoke is easy. And so, in this passage, we're going to see he's made this great, great statement. The truth is going to set you free. All right? Three mistaken beliefs. There's going to be three mistaken beliefs about that the truth actually corrects. All right? So the first mistaken belief is we are not slaves. And just as we've been seeing in John 7 and John 8, if you've been coming, if you've been listening, whatever, there's this back and forth. Jesus teaches, and then they raise an objection, or they make some sort of a statement, and then he teaches more. It's back and forth, back and forth. So we're going to see that here. The first thing they say is, they answered him and they said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? All right. So first, let me just say this, because a lot of people mention this. When we see the they there, they answered, who is the they? Is it, is it the ones who believe that he was talking to? And the problem is throughout the whole passage, it's been they say, the Jews say, they say, they say. Jesus speaks to them. Jesus speaks to those who believe. And this is they answered. This may be some of the non-believers. This may be some of the believers that are just not understanding what's going on. They have some mistaken beliefs. And we're going to see how these beliefs can, can uh, slip into our lives. So they answered and said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves. How can you say that we shall be set free? All right? There's a huge irony here, right? They are at this moment enslaved to the Romans. The Romans have occupied their country and set the laws and limit what they can do and make them pay taxes to people they don't want to pay taxes to. All right? So they're enslaved already. And so there's a little bit of an irony here. It's kind of like, I don't know, for parents, for, for, for me, 
there'd be a few times where my kids would kind of push our authority. Maybe, you know how kids do this. And oftentimes they would disguise it as joking. But there's some truth there. I told one of my, told one of my boys, I said, hey, I want you to take out the trash. And he was younger. He said, I don't have to do what you tell me to do. You can't order me around. And I'm going, you know, sometimes, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, one time my dad getting this look and I thought, he's going to kill me. He's just going to end my life right now. I've gone too far. And I'm looking at my kid like, what? <laughs> you know, and my kid goes, but I choose right now to take out the trash. And then they just kind of laughed. Ha, 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 Like, it's all a joke, Dad. It's all a joke. And I'm going, yeah, and guess what I'm choosing right now, you little rugrat. You know, I'm going to. And it's kind of ironic, right? They're saying, how can you say we're enslaved? We've never been enslaved. And it's like, dude, your history is a history of enslavement. But they viewed themselves as free. They viewed themselves as spiritually free. Why? Why? Because they said, we are Abraham's descendants. So how are you going to set us free? We already are free. And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus, that very truly there is uh, just they Englished it up to him saying, truly, truly, because it doesn't sound as good in English. Truly, truly. Jesus uses this double phrase that we've seen him use before that means this is so important. Get this. It's, I mean, if you can imagine it this way, think about this. It's as if Jesus is speaking to you and he says, get this. Listen to me. Listen to me. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. This is a huge truth. So listen. Everyone. Jesus keeps linking. It's interesting. He keeps linking his, linking his mission to the whole world, not just to the Jews. Everyone. But here he also links the Jews to the rest of the world. It's like he's saying, you have no spiritual privilege here. We see people all the time enslaved by their passions, ambitions, lusts, pride, ego. We can see ourselves oftentimes enslaved to many things. You know it's true if you stop and think about it in your life. You know it's true. Because there's times in your life, if you ever had that kind of a time where you stop and you go, why did I do that? That was so stupid. Why did I do that? A time where you'll stop and go, why did I? That was wrong. That was just wrong. Why did I do this? And it's because we have a slave master. One of the greatest myths of freedom is having no master but yourself. And it just doesn't work. Like I said, we're a mess of competing desires. Freedom is not having no master. Freedom is having the right master, the one who knows what you were made for. Because every, everybody lives for something. Bob Dylan said it great. you got to serve somebody. Everybody lives for something. Everybody lives for some purpose. Everybody lives for something that makes them feel significant. I mean, you think about it if you stop and you're alone or, you, or you're just, just on your own thinking, what is it that makes me feel significant? That'll clue you into what you're living for. What is it that is so important to me? It'll clue you into what you're living for. And it could be the usual stuff, you know. 
career, love, family, money, power. But occasionally you'll meet somebody who will say, well, not me. I don't live for those things. I'm in charge of my life. And then what happens? Independence becomes your Lord, and you become enslaved to it. You struggle to commit. You struggle to become vulnerable. Why? Because you won't let anyone have power in your life. And so ultimately, you become enslaved by that because you have to serve somebody. What's the answer? Verse 35, Jesus says, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So he sets up this idea. There's this this sense in a a family, especially they would think in a large family, like a, a rich family, because there would be a slave involved. He's saying, look, the slave is not a part of the family. The slave lives in the house. The slave eats some of the food from the house. The slave works in the house, but the slave is not a part of the house because it's just a slave. And that's what he's saying. He wants them to understand this. He wants them to get an idea from this. Jesus says, you need to be moving from being slaves to family members. How can you do this? How can we do that? Well, in John 1, John talked about it. He said, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children, not born of natural descent, or nor of a human decision, or a husband's will, not born of a human decision, but born of God. So what does he do? He brings up, he brings up this idea here that there's some, sort of an, there's some sort of an adoption that happens. And this is, this is uh, especially Paul fleshes this out later about this adoption that happens to us when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are adopted and then brought into the family. We're a part of the house, not a servant of the house. It's very key. You know, uh, wow, it's been a while back. We did, we did a study of the book of Ecclesiastes, and one of the interesting things in that book to me was when the writer, Solomon, and a lot of people think it is Solomon, and who knows for sure exactly, but I think it probably is. Uh, Solomon goes, look, I got all this money, and I'm going to die, and I've got these losers who are going to inherit it and they're going to squander it and spend it on stupid stuff. And he was right. That's exactly what happened with him. But he said, this is one of the reasons why life seems to be meaningless. I accumulate all this stuff so that I can leave it to these people who don't know what to do with it, who have no clue of what it took to get it, and they won't appreciate it. And he complains about that. And he's got a really good point. He's got a really good point. And so for the Romans, they understood this too. For adoption in those days, this was something that everyone knew about. Adoption was only done by wealthy people, older people. Just a second, we got to go a little bit into some historical context to understand this. But uh, I think it'll help. All right? So you have these wealthy people. One of them was Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar looked and said, my offspring are idiots. And I don't want them to inherit this stuff or them to be Caesar. So what did he do? He adopted someone. He adopted someone. So what happened oftentimes, it would be a wealthy person who kind of looked at their family and be like, right? And you guys have been in those kind of family meals, right? Look around and go, whoa, this is a tough crowd. Um, so, so, So 
a wealthy person, he's going, I, I, I want to have somebody who will carry on the family name. I want to have somebody who will do right with, with what I've done and build on it and make it even better. And so it would be somebody who was wealthy or be somebody who was older. It wasn't, usually it wasn't they adopted a small child. That was very rare. The people who really started doing that were the Christians because they would adopt the children they'd find thrown out at the side of the road to die. And, and that's when adopting small children started. Um, so anyway, okay, that's a whole different thing. That was a freebie. So you got these, a, a rich person, he, he, he looks around. He says, man, I've been watching this kid over here. This kid is strong. He's smart. He's got a good head on his shoulder. I think I'm going to adopt him. So this is what would happen. They do this. It's a legal process. They draw up the papers, and, uh, and they would uh, adopt that son, and the adoptee would be taken out of his previous state and brought into a new relationship. And this is what had to happen, though. The adopter had to pay all the debts that the adoptee's family had so that no debts could come with that adoptee into his new family. Think about that. All debts are paid. All debts are paid. This is what Scripture tells us about us, too. Jesus Christ paid our debts. So all debts are paid, right? The new father is now totally liable for the adoptee and, the, and takes over all of that. And so the, uh, the, the, um, they would start this little, it was a, it's kind of a little ceremony almost, because in Roman law, if you got really fed up with one of your kids, you could boot them out of the house. I mean, it, that's true in any, any society. But the thing with Roman law is that you could, you could accept them back. Ah, oh, you know, maybe he's turned over a new law. Okay, I'll take him back. And then after a while, you go, nope, same jerk. Boot, you boot him out of the family again. And a little later, because maybe you're a softie, right? You go, oh, my baby, right? So you bring him back. Now, if you boot, boot him the third time, it's three times, and you accept him back, you can never disown him again by law because they figured out by law that the problem is more you than it is your child, right? So if you, if you disown your kid three times and accept them back three times, by the third time, after the third time, it's done. That kid is your kid, no more disowning, no more booting, right? So, but with an adoptee, this is kind of cool. I know I'm taking a long time to get to it, but you can hang with me. With an adoptee, they did this little ceremony, and he would say, I want to adopt him. And they'd, the son would, the, the guy would, or child would walk over. And he'd say, no, I don't. They'd walk back. I want to. Over. No. Back. I want to. Over. No. Back. And then they would say, now he's yours permanently. You can never disown this child because of that little ceremony. They did the three already, all in one shot. So you can never disown this child. Now think about that. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been adopted into the family of God. And he can never disown you. He will never kick you out. Because he's promised. And that's the idea. That's what they were thinking of when Paul started writing about the intricacies, about adoption. In that, that Everybody knew this was how it was done. And the papers would be drawn up, and in a second, there would be a status change. You would become a son or a daughter. You would become an heir automatically. You could never be unadopted. And so you now start a totally new 
life, a totally new life. And this is something that really impacted me because for me as a new Christian, you know, one of the things is I, I, as a new Christian, I thought of it in negative terms. I kept thinking about, yes, my sins have been forgiven. That's true. These, these things were taken off of me. And I had some understanding of status change, but when I started learning more, I realized something wasn't just taken off of me. Something was put on me. I'm not just pardoned. I'm adopted. It's a legal status. I'm a child of God. My father is liable for my debts through his son, Jesus Christ. He now is liable. So now when I ask, well, who am I? Where do I stand in this world? What's the meaning? What's purpose? What's the bigger picture? I realize you are a child of God. You are a child of grace. You have been adopted into the family by the Father. You are secure. The security that's involved in that is huge. Because I don't know about you, but there's some times where I look at myself and I'm just so disgusted. And I'm like, ah, God. I've been trying to walk with you for all these, and I still do these kind of, what is wrong? And it becomes hard to imagine that he still loves me. And we're taught you are secure, security in the Father's love. Verse 37, he says, I know that you're Abraham's descendant. This is some of those times, you know, some of the times where I think Jesus is getting a little PO to people, where he just starts getting a little bit, gets under his skin a little bit. And, and it's, it's like, I know, I know biologically you're Abraham's descendant, you moron. No, he did not say that. It's not in the Greek, but I would have put it in there. Yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. And so he, he's, he's kind of coming back at him. He's saying, I'm aware of your, your genealogical, you know, I know 23 and me. I know that all about you, right? But I'm going beyond that. I'm communicating a heavenly message. This goes farther, way past human parentage. And you want to kill me for it. My word is directly from God. We are reading right now a message that God has given spoken by Jesus. And Jesus is saying, this is the message from God. Believing on Jesus adopts you into the family of God. You become an heir. You become a daughter. You become a son of the king. All right? So the second mistake in belief, first, we're not slaves, and he's telling him, yes, yes, you are. And then the second one is, we are, we are the special ones. This is us. This is who we are. Verse 39, they say, uh, Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me. A man, has, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. So now Jesus is challenging them because they have this belief, and we talked a lot about this. I'm not going to go deep. There. They were the privileged ones. They were the chosen ones. They were special. No one else in the world was like them. And simply because of their parentage, they believed they were right with God. Right? 
So they say, Abraham is our father. This is that back and forth. Abraham's our father. And Jesus says, if you're Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. He says, so be like Abraham, right? W-W-A-B, what would Abraham do? A-D, whatever. What would Abraham do? Jesus is declaring to them, this is what I've learned from the Father, who is God. And they're responding to this divine revelation with plots of murder. Jesus is telling them the truth, and they are rejecting it. And he's saying, Abraham didn't do that. When God spoke to Abraham, he believed God and obediently trusted his word. These people are not doing that. And God, through Jesus, is speaking to them, and they are refusing. And this is what's key. They are refusing to obey. Abraham was called a friend of God. He listened to God. He served God. And Jesus is saying, here you are, trying to kill me for speaking the message of God. You're fighting against God in his name. You're sinning against God in his name. And he goes, your father is not Abraham. So, we're not slaves. We're the special ones. And then we are the children of God. He says, they say, we are not illegitimate children. They protested. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I have to say. Okay, so this, this, this father stuff they're saying, this father stuff you're talking about, he said, they're saying finally, our father is God. We belong to God. We're his, fa- his followers. We're not. And then, there, then there's this dig to Jesus. You see this? We're not illegitimate. And they're going to hammer this more in just a minute um, next week. They're going to hammer this more because they're hinting. They're dropping a hint here. Jesus, we've been kind of looking into your past. And we can count. You were married and wasn't very long when your mother gave birth. So we know. We've been asking around. And so they don't even, they just say, we're not illegitimate. So now we have this first dig. Because next week you're going to see something. You're going to see that the truth offends and there's pushback. And it's going to come even bigger as they, as they get into this. In verse 43, when you look at that, he says, uh, they say, he says, why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. And there's an emphasis on language and say in the Greek. Language is, is what I'm saying, how I express it. But the word there that they translated say is the content of the message. Right? And he's saying, why, why is it not clear to you? Am I talking funny? He says, it's, why? It's because you are unable. And that word unable has the idea of an unwillingness. You're unable to hear what I have to say. And he's telling something that he's already spoken about in the past. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. So Jesus is bringing this principle. You'll know them by their fruit. He says, look at these people. He says, I see what's going on with you. He sees the dig. He says, if God was your father, you'd love me. For I have come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. And he says, and you are not willing to hear what I have to say. And then he continues, you belong to your father. 
the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the follower and the father of lies. And so Jesus suddenly, I mean, now it gets real, right? He lays it on. Let's talk about your father. All right, let's talk about your father. Yes, you're related by blood to Abraham, but spiritually, you are offspring of Satan and you carry out his desires. Now, that word desires is the word that oftentimes is translated in the, in the, in the New Testament as lust. Epithumia. Epi means epic or huge or overarching. Thumia is a desire. And says, what is his overarching desire? It's to lie. It's to deceive. It's to murder. And it says, you're following his desires. He's a murderer. And he looks at him and he goes, you're planning murder too for me. And not just for me. You were going to murder that woman without a trial that we just talked about. And he's a liar. It's his natural. It's what he, what he reflexively always goes to. And he says to them, you're lying. You know, this is really something. He stands in front of all the religious leaders of the nation of Israel, all the people that everyone revered, and he said, you're liars. That's huge. That's huge. You know, pastors, pastors oftentimes have things they really worry about. They have things they have um, um, sometimes bad dreams about. You know how when you were a kid, you, maybe, or maybe not when you're a kid, maybe even now, you'd have that dream where you'd go to school and suddenly realize you didn't have any pants on? Right? Do you, do you, is, that, is it just me? <laughs> is that just me? Well, for pastors, it's like you're speaking in front of the congregation. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, no, I forgot to get dressed. Right? That's something. Here's another thing, too, though, for pastors. They worry that something's going to happen in the middle of the sermon, like right in the middle. Somebody's going to stand up and go, you're a liar. And they're going to go kill him. No, no, they're not going to say that. They're going to they're say, you know, I, 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 let me tell you something. I've thought about this. How I thought, oh, I know what I want to do. I want to jump off this stage and punch. But I know I shouldn't do that because that wouldn't look good for a pastor, right? We got yeah, there's some sort of reputation to uphold. It's not that good right now, but somewhat of a reputation to uphold. And, and so then I think, oh, what I would do is I'd say, thank you for that input into my life. I will consider what you're having to say. I hear you saying to me that you don't trust my message. You know, something where everybody go, Bob is so spiritual. Look at him. He's, he's coming with such grace in an ugly situation. And I don't actually know what would happen. Right? I don't know. But here it's happening. Jesus just stands up and tells them, You guys are liars. You're lying. You were lying about that woman. You brought saying about that whole adultery thing. You were lying. He says, You you lie all the time. Why? Why? Because your father is the devil, and that's his natural way of speaking. This is huge stuff. I mean, I can imagine. I can imagine somebody like Peter leaning over and saying, Jesus, this kind of talk will get you killed. And I can imagine Jesus going, I know. I know. That's the plan. So you're like your father, the devil. His heart is evil, so he constantly lies. It's just natural for him. And scheming and plotting and lying and evil has become natural for you. He's telling you when you lie, you just follow, follow in your father's footsteps. And yet, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. 
Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. He says, I tell the truth, but the truth isn't what you want. It's interesting because Jesus, you know, is. I can remember one time I was talking to my dad and we were talking about, um, he was talking about a, a lieutenant that he served on her in, in World War II. Uh, he was involved in the Battle of the Bulge and, and this guy, and, and he was just saying, that, he said, that lieutenant would never ask us to do something he wouldn't do himself. He said, he said every so often when it was a patrol to try to figure out where the enemy was at, the lieutenant said, I'm going to lead this patrol myself. Not you, not you, not you, not you, me. I'm going to do it. And, and, and my dad was saying, we love that man because we realized he didn't think of himself better. He didn't think he was willing to accept anything that he would ask us to do. He said, every so once in a while, we'd stop. He said, the worst thing to do is the person who's got to dig the holes for the latrine. And he said, every so often, the lieutenant said, I'm digging too. And he would dig. And they would just go, we'll follow him. He's not above us. And Jesus says that. He says right there, he says, okay, you know, by their fruit, you'll know them. Apply that to me. Apply it to me. Anybody got a sin they can name about me? He says, we've already established that we just had an experience where you guys lied and you were instant in murder. We've established that. What you got on me? Do it. Can any of you, verse 46, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? And there's obviously not an answer. And so he says, so if I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Why don't you believe me? Name my sin. If, I, if you caught me in a lie, tell me it. And he says, but you know why you don't believe me. Because you don't belong to him. You're not his. When I, when I, got, um, when I got saved, when I came to Christ, um, I, 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 my mom would drag me sometimes to this church and then after a while, occasionally, I just go on my own because it was it was interesting. There was I, I sensed there was something there, but I didn't know what exactly what it was. And the pastor of the church, he was doing a series on on the spiritual warfare of the believer, on some of the stuff we're talking about, being slaves to sin and the fight and the Satan's a liar and all this kind of stuff. And and uh, and he just had been taught. For, and I thought this is interesting, kind of you know this is kind of cool. I love science fiction and stuff like that. And it kind of sounded like that kind of cool stuff, angels, demons. This is kind of cool. And uh, so I would go, and all of a sudden, I was home one day after church, and I was sitting there, and I thought, this is true. And I'm, I'm on the wrong team. He was talking about those who had been set free and those who were enslaved or captured, and I realized something. I'm the wrong side. I'm enslaved. I'm on the side that's, that's been captured. And it changed my life. It turned my life around. I suddenly realized I was adopted into the family of God when I became, I became a Christian, and I realized this is, this is the answer. This is what I've been looking for all this time. And he says to them, you don't belong to me. It doesn't make sense to you. You don't want it to. And so when I think about us, it's just, just real brief here. I, mean, I just want to close. Something to think about. We talk about freedom. And I think one of the things we can struggle with a lot of times is we, we, we look back at our past 
And there's these accusing voices that come, and they remind us. They remind us of things we've done. And, and when I begin to remind myself in those situations that I'm adopted into the family of God, I'm his child, I think one of the things we can do in those situations is when we hear those voices, when we see that kind of stuff, we see our mind going in that direction, we attack it. We attack it. It's very interesting through Scripture, if you read it, one of the principles in spiritual warfare is that we flee youthful lusts. We flee youthful over-desires. Not that we're youths and we flee. It's that these are things that we know are foolish. They're, in a sense, you know, dumb, young stuff that we should get away from. We flee youthful things. But, James, we fight. We fight Satan. We don't flee. We fight. And this is one of those times where we fight, when those accusing voices come. We, have, we fight. We say, I'm an adopted child of God. I'm adopted by the king. The ceremony is complete. He couldn't kick me out if he wanted to. But he doesn't want to. I'm his child. And so, you don't own me anymore. That's not me anymore. Jesus has given me a clear conscience. Why? Because he took away our sin and our shame. Scripture's real clear on this. He took away our sin and our shame. And so those things in the past where you go, oh, it's gone. It's gone. And so we attack. We hold to the truth. We learn it. We speak it to ourselves when we're struggling with thoughts or struggling with people or what people have said. You know, a great example of this is, is, is Psalm 42. David says right in the middle of the Why are you downcast? Why are you depressed, O oh my soul? Why are you depressed? And then what does he do? He says, remember what God has done. He says, trust him and remember what God has done. See, he doesn't say, oh, just try to get away from it. Try to move someplace new. Get a, you know, reset, a whole new place, new apartment, you know, new wife, new husband get some new kids, whatever. No, he says, no, no, stop, right now, attack it. Why are you downcast? Identify the problem. What's going on? And then he says, remember what God has done and trust, trust him, trust him. And what I, this is, it's, it's, it's a sad thing kind of, but I, this is what I love about Psalm 42. The problem isn't solved at the end of the Psalm. He doesn't, he doesn't go, yay, all taken care of. Thank you, God. You're the best. You know, he just ends it with saying, trust him and walks away. The problem hasn't been solved yet. But he's saying, I got I to attack. I got to attack this. Also, one of the things I think that's so great in this passage, in this whole chapter, is that the gospel is the great leveler. We're no better than anyone else. He's talking to the elite in their spiritual society. He says, you're no better than this woman. You're no better than any other person. Because there is a subtle idea that can creep into us that we are better. It creeps in. It whispers. It says, and this can really have, it says, those people are bad. They're not like us. They're the bad ones. It's okay to hate them. It's a, so avoid them. 
mock them, treat them differently than you treat other people. As soon as you feel that, and it happens to us in so many different ways, but as soon as you feel that, you've got to attack it. You've got to say, no, this is wrong. No, everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. Anything is possible. That's a foundational principle we want to have here because we're not better. The gospel is the great leveler. What does it do? It brings us down. It brings us, you can't do it. You're a sinner. And then what does it do? It lifts us up. But you are so important to Jesus Christ that he gave his life for you. That's how much he loves you. And so it gets us centered on what's important. It's the great leveler. And when we start to think, hate them, avoid them, mock them, treat them badly, misrepresent them, those others, whatever other they happen to be, the truth is the antidote for that type of thinking. So we embrace the truth, even if we don't like it. Because the truth is the light that reveals. It sets us free. It's how we become what we were made for. You know, you can go to a lot of places and hear a lot of people talk and preach and teach or whatever, not just, I mean, just lots of places. There's all kinds of good stuff out there. But we have to keep always saying, but what's the truth here? It has to become what we measure everything by. What is the truth here? And then we take that truth and we live it out. And this is the cool stuff that happens. Others see it, and they're touched by it. And it begins to work in their life. And it goes on and on and on and on, and it spreads. And we become a part of something that is so great and so grand and so huge that it's worth every bit of our life. It's worth it, every bit of it. That's what God has for us. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. You are made for things, and he wants to work through you to accomplish his goals. I don't know what it, it may be a neighbor. It may be a coworker. It may be a friend. It may be a family. I don't know, but he wants that to happen in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it convicts us. It shows us where we've fallen short, and then it reassures us that in spite of falling short, we're loved so deeply so permanently. And Father, when we rest in that, we become free. We thank you, God, for the freedom that you've accomplished on our behalf through your son, Jesus, through the power and the work of of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to see it clearly so that as we go through these times, God, where we're struggling and life is hard, and tragedy strikes, that we would be like, Peter, where else can we go? You have the words of life. There's nowhere else to go. No one cares like you care. No one loves like you love. No one serves like you serve. So help us to imitate you and to be a part of this grand plan to uh, enter into this world and change people from the inside out. Lord, thank you for that privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.